Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. So we are in the season that is referred to the season of Lent in the Christian calendar. It is a period of 40 days, more or less, that precedes Easter. And a common practice within the Christian families of faith is to surrender or give up something during that period so that we might more fully rely on God or might experience some manner of a sacrifice or somehow cleanse our minds in preparation for the ultimate transformative experience. So an easy question for you, how many of you have chosen and are or have given up something for Lent? Anybody? A few of you? That's all right. There's there's no judgment here uh, at all. Because I made a recommendation last week, as I do every year at this time, based on something I learned from our youth group leader in my church in North Carolina. She said, and this is Michelle Hafey, I think might be watching the morning from North Carolina. She said, Lent really is an acronym. And I need to make sure I've done this right. Pointed it at the computer. There you go. Let's eliminate negative thinking. So rather than giving up chocolate, (laughs) don't even start, or chewing gum or cursing or those sort of traditional things, why don't we take a look at what's happening between our ears? And if we find ourselves gravitating towards or leaning on or really fixating on negativity, maybe complaining, criticism, if we really want to have a transformative experience, maybe we should eliminate that. Just let it go. Use our faculty of release and let go of all the criticizing, the complaining, the negativity, the fault finding. How would our lives be different if we did? Well, I think we'd be much more at peace. We would find ways to express our thoughts and our feelings more affirmatively. And we just might find our relationships improve. Because nobody wants to be around somebody who's whining and complaining all the time. At least nobody that I know. So let's eliminate negative thinking. That's very broad. So I started thinking to myself this week, maybe we should just look at a specific area of our lives to eliminate negative thinking. So I really appreciate Kaylon and bringing us into the life visioning meditation process and asking what's our highest vision for our lives and for ourselves or a particular area of our lives. And is there anything we need to release and let go of that might be preventing us or precluding us from experiencing the peace, the joy, or whatever that highest vision is? And it occurred to me that I think there is a particular area of negativity that I would like for us collectively to explore in these coming weeks that are leading up to Easter. But I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet, because in order to get to it, we need to do what I think is a little bit of a setup as we practice eliminating negative thinking. So here is another question for you. Question. What is new thought? Now, if you come to Unity Church or Center, if you go to Centers for Spiritual Living Church or Center, you might hear the term new thought. Anybody familiar with the term new thought? 
Great. Well, I want to give you a little bit of a background, very little bit of a background, a little history lesson about this thing we call New Thought. So New Thought is a spiritual movement that was birthed in the 19th century, primarily the latter half of the 19th century. And I say spiritual rather than religious because it includes a lot, a very broad umbrella. It has a very broad umbrella. It includes and was founded on the idea of the power of the mind to serve as a healing tool. When we talk about mind-body connection, that is the definitive new thought idea. Our minds and our thoughts have an influence on our bodies. Not only that, but our minds, our thoughts, our feelings shape our perception and experience of the world. That's why, like in our music and in our affirmations already today, we have uh, reaffirmed that message of understanding our thinking, the quality of our thinking, understanding our feelings, understanding where our feelings come from, and realizing that each and every one of us has the capacity to change our thoughts, change our feelings, change your thinking, change your life. Central new thought idea. These ideas are directly related to and uh, were coalesced at the same time the science of psychology was being founded. Um, and part of the founders of, of, of New Thought were Anton Mesmer and Phineas Quimby. Now the word name Mesmer may sound familiar because that's where the idea of mesmerism comes from. It's where the idea of hypnosis comes from. And when we look at the founding of psychology, that was the entree that gave doctors and anyone else who would listen, an entree to the fact that there is more to our minds than just our conscious mind. There's a whole reservoir of unconscious or subconscious material that is very real and very much alive. And so through the power of our minds, through the power of our thoughts, we can be present to that. Now, what we do in New Thought, in Unity, we take that one step further and recognize the aspect and the impact of divinity, God, spirit, whatever term works for you, that impacts the quality of our thinking. Because when we know that wherever we are, God is, that divinity is both imminent all over the place, all the time, and transcendent and beyond this, and that we are one with that illimitable power, that it exists in us, as the scripture says, as Christ in you, then we are truly empowered individuals. <clears throat> we can take charge of our thoughts and our feelings. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy by a long shot. It just means it is possible. And that when we work our program, that when we engage in spiritual practices, we can access that power and access a true understanding of what's going on within us. So for instance, when we do the life visioning process that Kalon touched on in meditation, we're actually forming a bridge and can connect with our unconscious or subconscious material and then realize we can do something about it. The other aspect of new thought is that whenever we talk about divinity, we always refer to the fact that divinity is altogether good and that we are formed and created out of the goodness that God is. Matthew Fox, a Catholic theologian, refers to this as original blessing in some of his work. He is not a new thoughter, but his principles are. 
original blessings, how we were all formed. So we recognize that even though our behaviors, <clears throat> even though some of our thoughts may not reflect the goodness that we all are, like every single body on this planet, it doesn't change the fact that in our teaching, we know that there is inherent goodness in everyone. So we've touched on a lot of different areas that, is, that are notable in new thought. There's one other that is very distinctly different from pretty much any other faith tradition in the world that is a major well-known faith tradition, and that is the role of women. Women have been active leaders, co-equal partners with men in New Thought since the very beginning. And so in our New Thought traditions, we know we accept without question the full equality of the genders. That is a difference that you won't find. That is a very big difference from many other faith traditions. Another thing about new thought is we have antecedents all over the place. It's almost like if you were to do a DNA test of any new thought community, pretty much everything would show up in some way, shape, or form. So I have a picture to share with you that highlights what this is. And I'm going to double check to make sure. There it is. It's a big picture, and if we stay here to about 4.30 this afternoon, we'll get a good understanding of all of it. There are copies available on the mosaic table in the atrium if you'd like to take one with you today. Let me just point out a few things. Central to unity, teachings of Jesus. Other corner, Plato. There's a lot of Greek philosophy that is just woven into everything we teach, namely uh, idealism. You see transcendentalism shows up. Hinduism, Buddhism, all this going within and meditation stuff central to what we do. We see theosophy, Madame Blavatsky shows up. Mental science, Thomas Troward. Unity co-founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, were students of Mary Baker Eddy's Christian science goes into the mix of who we are. Then when we look at the schools and the organizations associated with New Thought down at the bottom of the screen, we see Christian science, and there is connection, primarily focused on this mind idea, a mind-body connection. We see two organizations, one referred to as Association of Unity Churches, now known as Unity Worldwide Ministry, and Unity School of Christianity, now known as Unity World Headquarters at Unity Village. Something about New Thought you need to know, we change our names a lot. <laughs> Unity, by the way, was co-founded by a husband and wife team, Myrtle Fillmore and Charles Fillmore. Christian Science, also founded by a woman, Mary Baker Eddy. We have the Churches of Divine Science, founded by Melinda Kramer and Nona Brooks. We have the United Church of Religious Science and Religious Science International, based on the work of Ernest Holmes, now known as since they have merged as Centers for Spiritual Living. We have the Unitarian Universalists as well, who have direct relations primarily through the Transcendentalist Movement to Unity and New Thought. Not pictured here are two other organizations, the Universal for Foundation for Better Living, founded by Reverend Johnny Coleman, another woman, and the Agape International Center, founded by Michael Beckwith. We also have two other loose organizations, the International Association for the Global Associ Association for Global New Thought, International New Thought Association. So there you go. That's a very brief overview of lots of history, lots of theology, all in one piece. So that raises the next question. So what is unity? <laughs> 
it's big, right? Because we, we have this saying we sometimes use. And, and in Unity, we have about 700 churches and centers worldwide. Um, and when we mean that, worldwide, it's a global presence. We have this saying that's not really a compliment, but it could be, depending on where you are at any moment of time and space. And that saying is this. You've seen one Unity Church? You've seen one Unity Church. <laughs> Which is great because it allows each community flexibility as to how it expresses itself, how it lives into its vision. It's not so great sometimes because sometimes some of our communities are very disparate in how they present themselves, what they focus on, and that sort of thing. So recently, just last month as a matter of fact, that's pretty recent, our board of trustees and our finance director went to a meeting with Unity Worldwide Ministries president and CEO, Shad Groverland, his wife, Erina, myself, and a whole bunch of other Unity churches and centers from Pennsylvania, Virginia, the district, North Carolina. And the workshop was entitled, The Power of Focused Ministry. And Reverend Shad wanted us to invest some time in getting clear on who we are as a movement, and we generally will refer to unity as a movement more than a denomination, although we're denomination, but the word movement sounds more fun. Who we are and what do we do? How do we understand ourselves to be? And that might seem easy enough to answer, but if you remember all those antecedents, it's a little bit hard to put in a box. Now, one of the things about New Thought Centers, and this one in particular, we have a rule. There are no boxes. Meaning, as we say in Unity and New Thought, every single one of us is a conduit for understanding what divinity is. Every single one of us has the right and the responsibility to make discernment for ourselves. This is what's true for me. This is how I choose to live my life. In our unity movement, the organization of unity exists to support individuals on their own path, their own journey of knowing the truth about themselves, knowing their inherent goodness, and giving that expression. Rather than you come, sign on the dotted line, these are our rules, this is who we are, world without end, amen. Now, I say that not in any way, shape, form to, as a form of hubris or to say we're better than anybody else. We are not. And I know that because our community and every other faith community is formed of human beings. Every one of us, though, eventually does find and align with a community where we feel a fit. For those of us in unity, it's here. For other faith communities, it's somewhere else. And that's perfectly A-OK. -okay. We are blessed to have so many different communities that will meet people where they are. But I read something once recently, and it said, it's fine to meet people where they are. Don't leave them there. Invite them into a greater understanding of who they are, who they come, have come here to be, and how that they can let their light shine and so be a blessing to the world. I like that. Let's meet people where they are and let's journey together, not with coercion, but collaboration and friendship. So Reverend Shad presented a definition of what unity is, one that was put in its final form in 2005 
I thought to myself, I woulda, coulda, shoulda remembered that. That was the year I was licensed as a minister, but I did not. It didn't get a lot of traction for some reason. And as with most committee work, I say this tongue-in-cheek, he identified the fact that it only took 18 months to put together a statement of what unity is. You would think it would take that long. Well, we like to say we may not be fast, but we are deliberate in our proceedings. And here's what it says. Unity is a positive, practical, progressive approach to Christianity based on the teachings of Jesus and the power of prayer. Unity honors the universal truth in all religions and respects each individual's right to choose a spiritual path. It's broad, it says a lot, and I think it does a really good job of encapsulating who we are as a movement. I had a conversation, though, with an individual not too terribly long ago, and he asked me about what unity is, and, and I went on to explain to the best of my ability, this is what unity is. And I could tell it wasn't fitting his definition of Christianity. And that's fine, because that leads us to the issue I want us to address. There are in an, any number of various denominations and interpretations of what Christianity is, what Jesus is, what Jesus taught. There are any number of variety of ways of prayer and spiritual practice. There are truths in world traditions that we draw from liberally here at Unity. We, you may recall last fall we did a series on unity and world religions. I myself am very active in interfaith work because I know that we're better off together than apart. And we know that as individuals, our lives take any number of twists and turns that invite us at various times in our lives to address questions of faith and spirituality on account of or in response to any number of life conditions. So what's the problem? The problem, and Reverend Shad mentioned this in his presentation, is what we refer to as the shadow of Christianity. You don't have to raise your hands, but I'm going to ask a question. And you can define what that question means in your own mind. Has anyone here or at home had an experience with some form of Christianity or Christians that you would say was unpleasant, unsatisfactory, or unrewarding? Oh, I'm, I'm seeing like most hands go up. I don't bring this up in order to denigrate or castigate any particular branch of the Christian families of faith. But to highlight a fact that we know to be true of individuals, that is also true of individuals, of, of organizations. We all have shadow. Parts of ourselves that when we do a searching and fearless moral inventory, we would probably prefer not to share with others. Things about which we are embarrassed or ashamed or feel guilty about. Sometimes this is conscious material. You know, we're getting back to that psychology bit. 
And sometimes it's unconscious. We just don't realize some of our own embedded biases and prejudices and how they show up, or some of our own thoughts or feelings that are motivating our behaviors, and then they show up in unhelpful or unhealthy ways in our lives. This happens in organizations, whether it's a faith community, a company, a school, a church, a homeowners association, that's where you easily and most obviously see it. Just saying, I have some experience. We used to make the newsletter, our, our little neighborhood in Florida where we live, page three, somebody in our neighborhood, would, in our street would be there. And in order for us to transform and heal and move past those experiences, it is imperative that we name them, identify them, integrate the lessons, and then move on. I, I will tell you that as a minister, when I, people do find out I'm a minister, sometimes I just tell them I work in the intelligence community, and around here that works, because, you, you know, we know we're, the conversation isn't going to go anywhere else. Oh, the weather's lovely today. Yes, it is. Whew, dodged one. I, I, as an aside, one of my, my minister in North Carolina years ago said, when I'm traveling, I just tell people I work for a very large ad agency, and I'm not allowed to disclose our, our client. So... Because, and here's the problem, when people find out I'm a minister, quite often um, there's an awkward silence, or they, the, they immediately stop cursing. <laughs> that puts the onus back on me, so they start, stop, start cursing. Or they uh, genuinely ask questions, they're curious. Or I get the diatribe about you people and the things you've done. You know, there, there's a projection about what happens in community sometimes. This is, uh, and, and certain populations have more energy around this. I mean, I'll just share from my own experience, as I've mentioned before. Even, I wasn't church growing up, which is not common when you have Jewish family. Um, we didn't go to temple either, for that matter. We were secular for a variety of reasons, having to do with some shadow experience my parents had. But as I became aware of the fact that I was gay, I watched any number of faith communities and governments wage war on people like me in the name of Jesus. How does that even compute? Because when I would read the Bible, especially made it easy, Jesus' words are in the red. When I would read that, what I saw was love one another. If somebody's hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. If they are in prison, you go visit. When I looked at the actions of Jesus, I saw healing work to everyone without exception. There was no test. Are you good enough to be healed by me? None of that. There was no requirement that, well, now that I've healed you, you owe me. So you need to, like, come and sign on my dotted line. I saw a ministry at a time where women were essentially chattel property. I'm so glad we've moved beyond that where women were included and valued. 
And I read where he said something along the lines of, let the children come unto me, for it is to such the kingdom belongs. None of this children should be seen and not heard. This calling them out as a witness. And yet when I talk to a lot of people and people come to a unity church or center or other um, more welcoming centers and churches, the same story in some way, shape, form shows up. And so I find even in unity, we have people who are very uncomfortable with the word Christian because of associations that have been made to it. Very uncomfortable with the term Christianity because of associations. Very uncomfortable with just saying the name Jesus because of associations. And I thought to myself, we do Christmas, we do Easter, we do Lent, we do Advent, we use Scripture, all those things. And yet I am aware of not for everybody, but aware of a critical mass of energy, of negativity. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is the Lenten season, the season of letting go. So I listened to my heart. I listened to my guidance. Got some great inspiration from Reverend Shad, and I thought to myself, that's the topic I want to talk about for the next few weeks. That's the negative energy I want us to not only release, but transform. And just in case some of you are thinking, oh, Lord, we're going to be having revivals and, and all of that and everything's that. No, we're not going to change anything. Not that I know of. I don't know. Amy, let's talk. Except we will change our consciousness. We will change our perceptions. We will take wounds, and if we play our cards right, we will heal them. And more than that, where there have been closed doors and walls, we will have open doors and bridges. So as homework this week, I invite you all to join me in discerning and thinking about and pondering and journaling on the question, what do I think, feel, or believe about Christianity? What do I think, feel, or believe about Jesus? What do I think, feel, or believe about Christians? What do I think, feel, or believe about my own spiritual relationship with any of these terms? And again, I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm not trying to change anybody. I'm not trying to, to, to make anybody wrong or bad or prove that anyone is better than anybody else. What I want is to use this experience of the spiritual preparation for the transformative experience of Easter to use it as a time for healing and transformation so that, as Jesus said, together we might all have life and have it abundantly, and maybe more abundantly than ever before. Peace be with you, and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. 
You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.